With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today's episode 251. It's titled Impact Investing and Intentionality. A month or so ago, I received an email from Radha. She wrote, I have listened to your podcast for the past three years, ever since I was pressure washing and painting a hotel on an island in Thailand. I appreciate all the various subjects you touch on, and particularly your podcast to discuss climate change and how that will impact financial portfolios. I was wondering if you would consider a podcast that discusses how to choose socially responsible stocks and bonds that steer away from adding CO2 into the atmosphere and also are not aiding the weapons manufacturers. I'm trying to make every individual choice I make reduce the suffering on our planet and maybe even add to the overall benefit of the social and environmental fabric. Is there a way to partake in the market with all this in mind? I love how she put that. She wants to make individual choices that add to the overall benefit of the social and environmental fabric and do so by partaking in the market. What she's describing is really what is known as impact investing. This goes beyond socially responsible investing, which typically is associated with buying stocks and bonds that meet certain criteria or exclude certain criteria. And I'll talk about that in a minute. Impact investing. This was a new concept to me back in early 2015. The executive director, the former executive director of a community foundation that I had worked with, I was their investment advisor. He approached me about being on the board of a not-for-profit he was starting. It was called Intermountain Impact Investing. And he kind of explained what it was. It was a little confusing to me. He mentioned that when you give a grant, which is what a lot of foundations do, it is effectively from an investment standpoint that it's 100% loss. You just give the money away. There is no return. Whereas impact investing, you earn a return. The money is recycled, and then you can deploy that capital in another cause. One of my former associates at my old investment advisory firm, Fund Evaluation Group, recently wrote a paper on impact investing, and I'll link to it in the show notes. His name's Tim O'Donnell, Papers Investing, Investing with the Head and the Heart. He writes, an impact investment is not a grant, which assures 100% loss of capital. Unlike a grant, there's an expectation of a return of capital and a range of possible returns on capital with impact investing. On the other side of the spectrum are traditional investments that seek to maximize return. Sometimes with an impact investment, you're willing to take a lower return than you might otherwise because of the social good that it causes. O'Donnell continues, in between these two extremes are the infinite shades of impact investing. 
Investments can range from relatively low-risk opportunities, like local loan guarantees or microfinance, to higher returning strategies such as for-profit venture fund. An impact investment stands in both worlds and acts as a bridge between making money and spending money. And then he has three criteria for identifying impact investments. The first is intentionality. Intentionality, he describes, an investor should have the explicit intention of having a positive impact that aligns with an organization's goals. Wanting to have a positive impact. The second criteria is a specific goal of societal improvement. So having an impact that aligns with your goals and wanting to improve society. The third thing is a repayment of the investment plus a return on the investment. That's how this is different from a grant. And so we're going to look at ways that as individuals, we can participate in impact investing. A lot of what's going on there is with with institutions like this not-for-profit I was working with it, which ultimately didn't work out. But the idea is you have pools of capital that want to invest with impact investing, but they don't, have trouble finding those opportunities. And sourcing those opportunities continues to be a challenge for institutions as well as individuals. Another resource on impact investing was shared with me by Sarah with her firm's a PR firm called Women Online in, in the the website was Invest for Better. And what Invest for Better is, it's a nonprofit campaign whose mission is to help women demystify impact investing and take control of their capital and mobilize their money for good. There's, there's resources there to understand impact investing. Now, how does this differ from socially responsible investing? Rebecca Jackson, her firm is Future Value. She has a, a number of white papers. I had a conversation with her a couple months ago, and we kind of talked about where were we with the whole SRI and ESG. SRI stands for Socially Responsible Investing. She writes in one of her white papers. Again, I'll link to that in the show notes. SRI is synonymous with values-based investing, strategies of which many encompass various degrees of ESG. ESG stands for Environmental, Social, and Government. So varying degrees of ESG data and analysis. SRI is commonly associated with with exclusionary screening, where specific companies or even entire sectors are removed from the investment universe if they are deemed unacceptable. As a result, what constitutes SRI to one investor or manager may differ to what it means to another investor or manager. ESG data is used to screen portfolios, exclude, let's say, weapons manufacturers. SRI is wanting to construct a portfolio based on your values. ESG data is used to screen that. What sets SRI apart is that, generally speaking, it's companies that already have raised capital. In other words, when you buy a stock, if it meets your your social screens or doesn't, the money is just, you're just trading with another investor in what's known as a secondary market. Same with a bond. It's done in the over-the-counter market. You're trading. And for every buyer, there's a seller on an exchange. And so it's not necessarily capital going to the company at all. At one point, it did. When they did a public offering, the, the money went to them. 
And this is where I struggle with SRI investing because in some ways it's reputational protection. When I worked with clients that were concerned about socially responsible investing, often it wasn't so much having a positive impact. It was about having a negative impact on the organization's reputation in terms of would somebody find out that they're investing in a way that their donors might not like. I had one organization. We had a a bond manager that was just a small team tucked away in Ohio. Very, very good bond manager, but they happened to be owned by a bank. The board hired the manager, but within a couple months, they decided to fire the manager because they were worried about somebody finding out that this bank, who they believe some of their lending activities they didn't agree with, would find out. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily a a bad thing. I mean, if you want to invest with your values, but you you have to recognize that, in my mind, that's different from impact investing, where you have intentionality and you want to have societal good. Owning a stock that you bought from somebody else isn't the same thing. Having said that, there are way more opportunities to invest in a socially responsible way. Thousands of different options, but what I want to focus on today is just exchange-traded funds. Exchange-traded funds are publicly traded securities that track a specific benchmark. In this case, they'll be tracking some type of SRI benchmark. They're very, very inexpensive. Vanguard last fall, fall of 2018, issued two new ETFs. One is the Vanguard ESG U.S. Stock ETF, ticker is ESGV, and the Vanguard ESG International Stock ETF, VSGX. Expense ratios are very low. The the domestic fund is 0.12%. International is 0.15%. They say in their summary that they screen for certain environmental, social, and corporate governance criteria, specifically exclude stocks of companies in the following industries, adult entertainment, alcohol and tobacco, weapons, fossil fuels, gambling, and nuclear power. So there are options. If you want to invest SRI, there are, there are U.S., non-U.S. ETFs. There's bonds. The iShares ESG U.S. Aggregate Bond ETF. This also came out in the last year. It's essentially the broad bond market excluding certain companies. It tracks the Bloomberg's Barclays MSCI U.S. Aggregate ESG Focus Index. Expense ratio is 0.1% versus the regular AG, AGG, iShares Core U.S. Aggregate Bond ETF has a 0.05% expense ratio. So there's ways to go about that to invest in a socially responsible way, very cheaply, efficiently. But again, we're just excluding companies. We want to know how can we actually have an impact with our investment, some intentionality with our investment. Before we look at what we can do to have an impact with our investing, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. I know in our business, having the right candidates for the job is critical to keep our business running smoothly. Now, LinkedIn isn't just another job board. 
LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. So post your job for free at linkedin.com david. That's linkedin.com david to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Sometimes it's just nice to sit back, relax, maybe even take a nap. That's not what you want your money to be doing. You want it to be working hard for you, earning interest, generating returns. That's where the Betterment Automated Investing and Savings app can help. Betterment's technology gives you advanced tools that are built to help you maximize returns. They have diversified portfolios of low-cost ETFs that have been constructed by experts. High-yield cash accounts, where your money can earn 11 times the national average. And automated investing technology, like automated rebalancing. These tools can help you reach your savings and investing goals. Betterment is a fiduciary. That means it's their job to act in your best interest. They will never recommend an investment or give you guidance unless they believe it will help you reach your financial goals. So visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about the high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk, performance not guaranteed, cash reserves offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. One of my concerns with socially responsible investing that focuses on just excluding certain companies is those controversial stocks potentially could outperform the more sustainable companies, at least in the short term, if consumers don't change their behavior in terms of they continue to buy those companies' products or use their services. Why? Because if, if there's less demand from buyers of the stock, the valuations of those companies could be cheaper. They could have a higher dividend yield and ultimately do better. I think it's way more effective to first make sure we don't buy the products, that we're not supporting the companies that way. And if we're really concerned, encouraging others not to buy those products. Now, that might seem small, and I thought about this recently. The impact of one individual if that's multiplied by numerous individuals, it can change company behavior, much more so than not holding their stock in the secondary market. I've been training to go hike Mount St. Helens with my son and daughter-in-law next month. And one of my training hikes was the Manan Butte. This is in southeastern Idaho. I hiked it last Saturday. The Bureau of Land Management, essentially with the initial trail going up the butte, they put gravel and they put logs to prevent erosion. Right next to the gravel, which I think they only did three or four years ago, now there's a well-worn dirt path because individual hikers decided they didn't want to walk on gravel, so they walked next to the gravel on the grass. Eventually the grass died. Now it's just dirt. And as you go up this butte, there's a number of switchbacks. Individual hikers decided they didn't want, they wanted to take a shortcut. So they cut through. So now there's all these additional 
dirt paths going up this butte that weren't there before, and it's contributing to erosion. So our personal decisions, our personal choices, when we talk about impact investing, what we choose to do in terms of the products we buy and the services, it can have an impact. I thought about this recently in regards to climate change. My question is, what what could I do? What individually can I do to reduce my carbon footprint? And I looked online and I found a paper. It's by Seth Wines, W-Y-N-E-S, and Kimberly Nicholas. I'll link to this in the show notes as well. If you're a member of my free insider's guide, I'll just email this link to you each week, along with an article or a summary or an essay I do each week on some topic either related to that week's podcast or something else. Some of the best writing I do each week only goes to that list. You can sign up for that at moneyfortherestofus.com. And, and on that email this week includes this link to this paper, where the authors analyze 39 peer-reviewed papers, carbon calculators, and government reports, trying to figure out what would have the biggest impact as individuals in terms of our lifestyle decisions. Here's what Wine said. There are so many factors that affect the climate impact of personal choices. But bringing all these studies side by side gives us confidence we've identified actions that make a big difference. Those of us who want to step forward on climate need to know how our actions can have the greatest possible impact. This research is about helping people make more informed choices. We found there are four actions that could result in substantial decreases in an individual's carbon footprint, eating a plant-based diet, avoiding air travel, living car-free, and having smaller families. For example, living car-free saves about 2.4 tons of CO2 equivalent per year, while eating a plant-based diet saves 0.8 tons of CO2 equivalent a year. These actions, therefore, have much greater potential to reduce emissions than commonly promoted strategies like comprehensive recycling, which is four times less effective than a plant-based diet, or changing household light bulbs, which is eight times less effective. Now, you might not be ready to get rid of your car. I'm not. Or you're not ready to go vegetarian. Or you already had kids. (laughs) There's no chance to have a smaller family. But we can take small steps. We could eat less meat. We could maybe not travel as much, maybe not drive as far. Small actions that we can take. The first thing, there's three ways to be more responsive investors beyond just investing in socially responsible stocks and bond funds. We can make personal choices that are aligned with our values in terms of our consumer decisions. The next thing we do is not to cause harm with our investing. In other words, it's having a negative impact. I thought about this. I came across a situation the other day. I was looking at an opportunity, considering investing on a crowdfunding platform. It was an opportunity to lend money to a broker who would use those funds to buy a ship, a cargo ship that was being decommissioned from a shipper, and then they would sell that ship to a shipbreaking yard. This was known as, I guess, vessel deconstruction. 
it sounds great because they're recycling the steel and all the components of the ship. The rate seemed kind of was, was attractive, 10.25% for a six-month loan. But then I started looking at, at shipbreaking. I didn't know much about it. It's extremely dangerous and hazardous. They've actually passed laws or agreements the Hong Kong International Convention for the Safe and Environmentally Sound Recycling of Ships back in 2009. Their website says the aim of the convention is to ensure that ships, when being recycled after reaching the end of their operational lives, do not pose any unnecessary risk to human health, safety, and to the environment. I thought, well, that concerns me. And I read other articles, just the safety. A lot of this is done in Bangladesh and in terms of just hazardous. So I wrote the crowdfunding platform and asked, does this broker only sell to shipbreaking yards that adhere to this particular convention? So I could feel better that the capital is being deployed to fund a ship would is not, I'm not earning a much higher return because the ship is being sold to some yard that doesn't adhere to these standards. The response was a little lukewarm. They said, I'm told it's on a case-by-case basis, but yes, the borrower does do business with Hong Kong Convention compliant yards. They do, but not every time, was it my interpretation. So there wasn't enough transparency, so I decided not to invest. So we need to at least think about our investments. Are they doing harm or potentially doing harm? A third thing we do is actually have a positive benefit. Invest for impact, for investing directly with capital deployed. And I've given examples of this on the podcast. They've been sponsors of the podcast in the past. Wonder Capital, where you could earn, at this point, up to 6%, helping to finance the installation of solar panels. That's an impact investment. C-Note, that takes those capitals that you invest, you can earn up to 2.75%. And those funds are invested with community lenders that use it to fund small businesses, small business loans, affordable housing, community development initiatives in low-income areas, help minority business, women-owned businesses. So that's another way. I've invested in startups, one startup of one family member called I Got This, igotthis.com. It's an app to help families uh, with, uh, with children with ADHD. That's an impact investment. Now, in, in that case, a much more risky investment compared to C-Note or Wonder Capital. I recognize that it's hard to find some of those opportunities. They're, they're not, and some, you have to be a qualified investor. In other words, meet certain net worth and income thresholds. But others, you don't have to. And so it's interesting to find those opportunities. But this, this is a newer field. And so more and more of those opportunities are coming about, we have to use the same analysis with those investments than we would with, with any investments. In my, my book that's coming out this October, Money for the Rest of Us, 10 Questions to Master Successful Investing, I share the 10 questions we should ask before we invest in anything, including being able to explain what it is, understand what the expected return is, what's the downside, and things along those lines, and, and that's what we need to do even with impact investing. Now, we might expect a little lower return because there's a social aspect to it, but we need to still do our due diligence. 
on those opportunities. Now, there are opportunities for impact investing in the secondary market. So the capital is not going directly to the particular company. An example of that would be green bonds. Green bonds are debt instruments that were used to raise funds for projects and businesses that have a positive environmental or social impact. Now, the, the money is raised in the bond market, and then with these green bond funds or ETFs, you're, you're buying bonds that are already out there. But if there wasn't a market, a, a trading market, a secondary market for these bonds, then they wouldn't exist. Now, it's still very, very small, only about 1% of the bond market. I looked at this, though. It was interesting. These have been around for about 10 years, and I thought that that would be really cool. But then we have to step back and look at, well, the aspects of how you invest in bonds. There's the iShares Global Green Bond ETF, ticker's BGRN. It seeks to track the investment results of an index composed of global investment-grade green bonds. It's tracking the Bloomberg Barclays MSCI Global Green Bond Select U.S. Dollar Hedged Index. Expense ratio is 0.2%. And then I looked at what the yield was. The yield, the SEC yield, is 1.17%. Now, I recognize with an impact investing, you're, you're going to take a little lower return. But it's 1.17% yield. So that's, that's an estimate of what you'll probably earn if you held that for about seven years. But potentially, you would earn less because the duration or the interest rate sensitivity of this ETF is 6.9 years. So very, very low yield high degree of interest rate sensitivity. So if interest rates go up, the value of this ETF is going to fall. So then I, I was less enthused about that. And I couldn't actually find a green bond fund that the expense ratio was reasonable, that the yield was attractive and what didn't have a bunch of interest rate risk. So I was less enthused about that. An investment in this area that I've done, where it's an investment in something that has a positive impact within the secondary market is something called yield co's. A yield co, it's a dividend-oriented publicly traded company, but it was created by a utility that took some renewable assets, say a wind farm, a solar farm, and they put it into this publicly traded vehicle that generates a dividend. And then the idea is that maybe the, the, the yield co will grow over time, but in order to grow, it needs to get more assets from the parent company. So there is a little bit of a conflict of interest, but I've owned the Global X Yield Co. and Renewable Energy Income ETF for the past several years, the ticker's YLCO. It's concentrated about 34 stocks, but basically 34 stocks that are wind farms, solar farms, things like that. The yield, dividend yields about 4.3%. Finally, another option is, is Swell. They describe themselves as an impact investing platform. It is stocks in the secondary market. But they're evaluating thousands of companies and, and trying to find, they're not just excluding companies, they're trying to find companies that meet certain criteria that are seeking to make the world better. And so they have sort of thematic portfolios, zero waste, renewable energy, green tech, disease eradication, healthy living, clean water. And these portfolios have between 36 and 58 stocks in there. Now, they charge a fee for this at 0.75%, but you can go to their website and look and you can see performance. But here, you're paying a manager to select companies that, that are actually out doing good. So in the end, as, as Rada says, we're trying to make individual choices that can reduce some of the suffering on our planet. 
have an overall benefit in terms of social environmental fabric, having that intentionality to want to have an impact. Much of my portfolio doesn't, isn't that way. It's primarily passive or, or ways to actually maximize my return. To do so in a way that it's at least neutral, but much of my impact investing is done in terms of personal choices, trying to make better choices as an individual in terms of what I buy and how frequently I buy, how often I drive, things of that sort. Then I've made some direct impact investing where the capital is going directly to them. And I have that transparency. The transparency is key. But we each have to find our own way to have an impact with our investing with intentionality. That's episode 251. Thanks for listening. You can get show notes, as I mentioned, at moneyfortherestofus.com. Please sign up for my free insider's guide. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I'm not considered your specific risk situation. I've not provided investment advice, simply general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week. 